Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. And today we are on part two of a verse in Luke chapter 16, Luke 16, verse 18, where Jesus teaches about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Let's read that verse again. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. These are strong words for Jesus requiring lifelong love in marriage. It's, it's a sacrament that properly entered binds a husband and a wife together lifelong. And last week we touched on this, but I want to come back again because this isn't very well known. A lot of people who might be outside the church or even inside the church and not really aware of why Jesus would say such a thing or why the Catholic Church seems to be so alone insisting on lifelong marriage and, you know, no divorce and remarriage from a valid marriage. Well, lifelong marriage is not only commanded by Jesus— but it is also enabled by Jesus. And this is the practical aspect of this that I'd like to open up for us. And the key is that the reason there was divorce in the Old Testament and even allowed, Jesus said it was allowed because of your hard hearts. But here's the essence of the change. A profound transformation occurs in the new covenant. We're living in those days now. It's prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. God says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone, that's the hard heart, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Now, in essence, what are the Ten Commandments? You love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're married, your closest neighbor is your spouse. So Jesus is not only commanding lifelong marriage, but he's enabling this. Now, a lot of people could say, well, it doesn't seem to be working, or at least doesn't seem to be working today. Well, there are some blockages to that Holy Spirit that God said he would give to enable that new heart to actually live out and willfully obey God's commandments. And that number one thing I mentioned last episode was a dependence on me for living the Christian life. And this whole idea was opened up in Paul's letter to the Galatians. These were early Catholics, and St. Paul says in the first chapter of his letter to the Galatian Catholics, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Now, most of those converts in Galatia 
had an astounding grace-filled conversion experience. So they started right, but then they thought, well, now the rest of it's up to me. And it is true that in the Catholic faith, we are to do good works, but the dependency isn't on me. The strength isn't on me. It's from God. And I love St. Paul's description on how he works harder than anyone for the Christian faith and obeying God. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, all of me is due to the grace of God. And it says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. Listen to that. Though it was not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. Yes, we are cooperating with that grace, but our dependency isn't on me. It's on God. A lot of folks don't realize that the entire format of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is outlined, so to speak, and space for various topics. I'm talking about major sections is all designed to emphasize the grace of God. And you know, I have spoken about this to hundreds, literally hundreds of Catholics, and as of yet, I have yet to meet a single Catholic who's aware of this whole point of their catechism. Uh, according to the book written by then uh, Archbishop Schornborn and Cardinal Ratzinger, both obviously promoted in, in the ecclesiastical ranks, the whole point of the catechism is to emphasize God first and grace first. And when it comes to obeying God, and remember, how does this relate to marriage? Well, marriage is loving your neighbor as yourself and your spouse as your closest neighbor. So the book, Introduction to the Catechism, they tell us when it comes to obeying God, this, only when he recognizes the supernatural power that flows from his being in Christ through the Holy Spirit, can the faithful disciple of Christ make the effort with confident heart, and this includes lifelong marriage, without fear to practice and to increase the Christian life according to the Decalogue. Without the preceding, talking about the sacraments, what are sacraments? There to be sacraments of grace. This is, this is how we get the strength to live out that new life God has given us. But apart from the sacraments, the precepts of the Decalogue, again, to love God and love neighbor, seem to exceed our human capacity. In other words, you can't do it. You run out of gas. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. I worked harder than all of them. Ah, but yet not I, but Christ who's working in me. And trying to keep God's commandments, trying to keep Luke 16, 18 on your own steam, it will exceed our human capacity. But it goes on and says, but basing ourselves on faith and the sacraments, we look at them with confidence. You see, this is why it says the catechism has this strong emphasis on the primacy of grace. And so we need to keep grace in focus. 
Now, kind of coming back real quick to Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he really is combating this that has infected this young Catholic church. He says in Galatians 5 and verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, you're baking bread, you know, you don't put 50-50, you know, flour and yeast. No, just a tiny bit of yeast will leaven or permeate the whole loaf. You just allow a little bit of this into your spiritual life, and it can basically neutralize grace in your life. And once grace gets neutralized, you're going to find keeping the commandments is going to exceed your capability. It's my observation. Uh, It's not infallible, but let's see now. As uh, 29 years as a Catholic, that there's more than a little leaven of dependence upon me, a dependence upon my doing stuff in order to fulfill the requirements of the Catholic faith, including loving my spouse all my life. There's too much of this. And when you have too much, even a little leaven, it can just neutralize the life of grace. Paul ends this letter emphasizing grace to Catholics who have gone off on their own after they started great. And he says, what happens with works? Works means I'm doing it. I'm living the life by my steam. It produces strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension. That's not the stuff that makes for a nice marital relationship. This is what happens. You have just a little leaven. And you have to be careful because you can start great and then start switching gears to doing it yourself. And this is what happens. Instead, when you have the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit comes with the dependency of grace. Otherwise, it's neutralized. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, hey, not bad stuff for making a great marriage. So you see, lifelong marriage is definitely commanded. Uh, Divorce, separation and remarriage from a valid marriage is is entirely put off the board by Jesus. But more than that, he makes lifelong marriage entirely possible as long as we're living a life of grace. So why isn't it working today? Well, I think there's a lot of blockage of grace and that fruit of the Spirit for dependency on things we do in order to have a right relationship with God, okay? Now, I'd like to go to a second blockage. This is kind of like a cardiologist. You know, you have blocked arteries. They don't like blocked arteries. Well, here's another thing that blocks a heart that should be filled with grace and the power of the Spirit to actually fulfill God's commands. And it's something that we call sin. And if you want to know what sin does to marriages, what sin does to nice, ordinary human beings, it's very, very, very simple. Okay, we're going to spell sin with a small s. We're going to skip the i for a minute and a small n. And then we have this huge, gigantic, bloated i. What? sin does is takes normal human beings and turns them into egomaniacs, turns them into self-centered people. And when you have 
two people trying to live in a relationship, two people trying to live in a three-bedroom, two-bath house, and you have two centers of the universe under that roof, you're going to have intergalactic conflict. Where there is selfishness, there will be conflict. And people think, well, you know, sin, that's kind of has to do with church stuff. No, sin also has to do with your marriage. It's a killer for marriage because selfishness breeds conflict. And who likes marital conflict? And so what you want to do is get rid of sin because it blocks that grace we've been talking about and almost makes marital conflicts a sure thing. And, you know, you even see this, what happened after the original sin in Genesis chapter 3? Just turn around and Adam is blaming Eve for his sin. And, you know, and hence marital conflict starts. Uh, It's real simple. Go to confession. There's a whole lot of reasons to go to confession for your mortal soul. And, you know, but I'm just talking about marriage today. This is a way to help your marriage. If sin breeds selfishness, you go to confession and put that sin away from you, what do you do? You make that life of grace possible again, and you remove the blockage to grace. It's, it's you know, as a convert, and I'm a clergy convert, and I used to engage in pastoral counseling and I did have the sacrament of confession as a Protestant pastor, and yet I saw that the sin and the guilt from sin and the blame shifting that could come from sin and all of this stuff, it was so hard to put away uh, compared to going for five minutes to this sacrament. I'd just like to read a couple of, uh, of verses from Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I'll just kind of insert our topic of marriage into this verse. Blessed is the marriage whose spouse's transgression is forgiven. The psalmist goes on to say, when I declared not my sin, my body wasted away. I'm going to get, I'm going to inject marriage in here. When we declared not our sin, you know, our marriage suffered. And let everyone who is godly offer prayer to thee and, you know, confession. I I think it's, you know, it's difficult. What happens in confession is that the I from sin is reduced. It's not overbloated. And that's why not just going once every, I mean, I know, People, particularly men's conferences I've done, you know, they only go every 5, 10, or 15 years. You know, um, John Paul II used to go weekly, and boy, I know he's he's a lot holier than I will ever be, or he was uh, and is. Um, can't we go once a month or so for the sake of our families, for the sake of our marriages? And, and notice this that when you have unconfessed sin, I'm going to kind of connect this with our first blockage as far as uh, uh, depending on ourself for living the Catholic life. Dependence on ourself is dependence on our ego. And if you have sin in your life, it does the same thing. It bloats the ego. 
And where you have self-centeredness, you have marital conflicts. So it's the same root here, and I'm just trying to come at this in different ways. Don't try to live the Catholic life on your own steam. That's why we have sacraments. That's why we have prayer. And don't try to get rid of sin by doing something crazy. Uh, Go to confession and return yourself to that equilibrium of a life of grace. Now, I hope you guys like me as your host, because I'm going to ask you not to turn the radio off right now, okay? Just stay with me. I'm not going to beat you up, I promise. I'm just going to say something that people don't like to hear about, okay? I want to talk just for a minute about birth control. I want to uh, give a true confession first. Uh, Jim Burnham and I co-authored a book entitled Christian Fatherhood, and we worked really hard on trying to convince Catholic men that birth control wasn't a great thing for their marriage. And we're in a kind of a tight framework on the radio, so I might not have even told you I was going to talk about birth control because when I we wrote the book, we didn't mention it at first. In chapter five of our book, we talked about how sin— has a way of creating selfishness. And chapter five was about having loving marriages, that the selfishness was an enemy of love because love is this self-giving of oneself. And the opposite of that is selfishness. So you just don't want selfishness in your marriage. So we just put down that stake, so to speak, in chapter five, and we let it run for a while. And we didn't bring it up again until chapter 10, which is devoted to the topic of birth control. So in other words, you could accept the principle that selfishness is not really good for your marriage. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons why birth control is wrong. There's all kinds of philosophical reasons people like to delve into. But I'm just going to get right down to it, real simple. And I'm talking again about marriage and, and removing blockages. Is that birth control creates selfishness in the very heart of your marriage. Why is that? Well, you need to, first of all, uh, go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I, and I know people think the Catholic Church knows nothing about sex or sexual relations. And, you know, the problem is most Americans don't, because this is what the Catechism says about marital sexuality. Sexuality is not not something simply biological. You say, what are you talking about? It's not simply biological. What's more biological than sexual relations? Well, it says it concerns the innermost being of the human person. So in other words, marital sexuality is going to get to the deepest, deepest part of you. And the idea in marriage is to unite the deepest parts of husband and wife in this sacrament of marriage. And we know that anything that works against that is not your friend. Now, here's something. In fact, this is from John Kipley, who is the founder of the Couple to Couple League, a a teacher of natural family planning for years and also an opponent of the use of birth control. He made the claim and I believe he's absolutely right, that every marital sexual act 
that's done properly without putting something in the middle of husband and wife, so to speak, the full expression, the full self-giving, because self-giving is called love, that is a renewal of the marriage covenant. Uh, Think about that. God has designed something that's not simply biological. It has pleasure to it, and that's a biological good thing if it's done right in marriage. But beyond that, it's a reuniting, a renewal of the love of spouses because it's an act of mutual self-giving. Self-giving is love. And the opposite of self-giving is selfishness. And selfishness occurs in the deepest, deepest, deepest part of your marriage when you're taking the pleasure for selfish pleasure and not totally giving of yourself, that procreative part of yourself. So what we did in chapter 10 is just basically, you know, keep selfishness out of your marriage by keeping birth control out. And a lot of Good folks think, you know, really the church is just stuck somehow in the Middle Ages and, you know, really doesn't know much about sexuality and everything else. No, they're kind of ahead of the game. And a lot of folks think that the church just is not up to speed on this, are practicing birth control. But the result is, just like the other two things I've mentioned of depending on yourself for living the Christian life or having unconfessed sin, which bloats the ego and makes you selfish, birth control is the nuclear-powered selfishness that you really don't want in your marriage, okay? And I'm just sharing this as a friend. Now, I want to turn all this around in our last few minutes and talk about why Jesus's words against divorce are really positive. In other words, he's not giving you outs from a valid marriage, but marriage, according to Jesus, is a unwavering, lifelong commitment. Um, You know, young people are asking today who want to cohabit the the famous question, well, what difference does a a ring make? You know, Um, well, it's this. Uh, Dr. Scott Stanley, who uh, is one of the creators of the PREP, P-R-E-P, Marital Communication and Premarital Communication Techniques, has said this, cohabitors don't make the same type of decisive commitments that non-cohabitors commonly make. Commitment is much stronger if it is consciously and intentionally made before physical relations. Even many of those young adults who are ignoring Christian moral teaching about waiting for marriage to have sexual relations may be open to hearing reasons why cohabitation may not be conducive for lasting love in marriage. Why? If you want to know the glue that these marital researchers have discovered that creates a lifelong marriage. Everybody loves each other when they get married, or at least there's probably one or two couples that don't every year, but they're crazy. Okay. People love each other when they get married, but how do you make it last? And what they found is what makes for a lasting marriage. And and also, this is a message for young people whose parents got divorced, because they're much more likely to cohabit. They think they have to have a trial marriage to see if it'll work and all that. And actually, what they're doing is weakening their marriage, because commitment, commitment is the glue 
that holds marriages together. And the strength of commitment, remember it's stronger if you wait sex uh, until marriage and make your commitment first. That's why a ring does matter. The strength of commitment is related to happiness in marriage. The strong commitment encourages dedication by each spouse to making the marriage work. And what about happiness in marriage? Strong marital commitments fuel marital satisfaction. Now, somebody might say, hey, we're going through a tough patch right now in our marriage. Well, that's why commitment is important as well. Again, here's marital researcher Scott Stanley. Quote, when people are committed, and that's what Jesus is trying to get us to do, be committed, they have a long-term outlook on the relationship. The long-term positive view is critical because no relationship is consistently satisfying. Okay? Marriages go through hard times. That's what it's saying in a nice way. The marriage experience can be very ungratifying at times. What gets couples through these times is the long-term view, and this is the commitment. There's an expectation that thick and thin times will come, and the relationship will make it through. Great security comes from knowing your mate will be there when it counts. You know, soldiers, when they go in to clear a building, they only look, say, the first guy in, forward. Somebody has his back, and literally his life could depend on trusting the commitment of the guy behind him to have his back. Well, that's in marriage. Husband and wife who make the commitment, and you will go through ungratifying times. And the research shows if you stick with it, you'll come out with a happy marriage. The vast majority of marriages, and I'm not talking about somebody who's violent and threatening bodily harm and that type of stuff, but the majority of those who want to break a marriage is for far less reasons, and the commitment will get you through those type of difficult times. So if you want to learn more about marital commitment, there's a book written by Scott Stanley called The Heart of Commitment. Research that reveals the secrets of a lifelong, intimate marriage. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 257 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.